0: Hello, I'm Paul Mitchell, speaker and author. Welcome to Enterprise Radio, our regular podcast on how to transform the way you live your life, the way you lead your business and leave a legacy. Today I'm talking with Tony Arena, who can only be described as one of Sydney's colorful small business identities. Tony is the managing director of BCI, which is Australia's undoubtedly premier business, broking business. He's bought and sold thousands of businesses and being involved with hundreds of, of leaders, from businesses online at maybe $70,000 turnover, through to larger franchise businesses with, say, 9 million odd turnover. And with over 25 years of experience, he shares with us today the leadership lessons from small business enterprises that those in large corporates absolutely have to know. Enjoy as you take taking Tony's grounded, uh, practical wisdom on the essentials of leadership. Well, Tony, good to see you again. Um, Good afternoon, Paul. So, um, Tony, maybe you could just tell our listeners a little bit about what uh, your current role is and your business and what that involves.
1: Yeah, so I'm owner of BCI Business Brokers, which is a business broking firm here on Sydney's North Shore. I've been doing that, Paul, for around 25 years. It means I meet a lot of business owners and often they don't know what to do, what stage they're at in their business, should they sell, should they hold on. So I'll try and help them, firstly by indicating a fair value for their business or what I believe I might be able to get for it. And if they agree to sell, we'll just go ahead and sell their business for them.
0: Okay, so I guess uh, would would it be okay to maybe disclose some of the businesses without necessarily the figure um, that you've actually sold in the past?
1: Well, typically, uh, we get involved in franchising, so it might be a Gloria Jeans or a Michelle's Patisserie. It it might be a franchisee or maybe even a franchise or business. To give you an idea of the range of businesses that we sell, it might be a $75,000 online business right up to a $9 million major franchise system throughout Australia.
0: Wow. Do you see anything on on the businesses themselves? Do you see anything similar in terms of what makes a great business to sell? Because a lot of our... Our clients are in the corporate world, and although they'll never be actually selling a business, although they might have a business on the side, I'm just wondering, is there any particular patterns that make for a great saleable business? Two things I'm looking for,
1: maintainability and transferability. Right. And never before has maintainability been more important. The major question is, will this business be around in five years? Who wants to buy a business, make, make a bit of money for a couple of years, and then it folds? because no one wants that product anymore. Mm. The second one is transferability. So you and I own a business, but the question is, could we sell it for dollars into the future? So is the money that I'm making transferable to someone else? If it is, it has value. If it's not transferable, it's not basically valuable to anyone but the current owner.
0: That's a great couple of words, uh, you know, maintenance and transferability. I guess that corporate people would look at that too. Uh, Will the business be maintained after they leave their role and... Have they actually transferred their skills to the next level down? But before we have a look at, I guess, some of the real great lessons from small business, tell us a bit about your career to date, because you've been uh, you know, quite a, uh, I think what's the term in racing, a colourful racing identity. <laughs> you've certainly been one of uh, Sydney's colourful identities. Before you were a business broker, what were you doing? I don't? was a
1: criminal barrister.
0: <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so well, that, that stops them in their tracks, doesn't well, it? Well,
1: that involved me just representing people who didn't have the opportunity to represent themselves properly in a, in a particular sphere. You wouldn't uh, go into court if you were unrepresented. And the similarity in my current uh, career is that you wouldn't want to go and try and sell a business or even buy one, Paul, and this is what a lot of people ignore. You wouldn't want to try and buy or sell a business un- unless you were represented by a professional, because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a cruel, hard world out there.
0: So I'm glad that you've actually clarified that, so it's the representation of others, not the fact that you're dealing with the criminals. Where's the parallel? There's no similarity there. Oh, good. So uh, was there transferable skills? I mean, it's interesting that there you were in a court of law, uh, really you know, representing someone or their point of view. Um, do you find yourself um, out there, if you like, representing your clients now, or is that- uh, Totally.
1: It... So I have a, a duty as, a, as an agent. If I'm acting for a seller, I've got to do the best for the seller. Now, that also involves making a buyer happy, because if I do the best for the seller and and we rip off a buyer and he's never, ever happy about what he's bought, it's going to come back to bite the seller and me. So I need both parties to be happy, but I never, ever forget that the person that's paying my fee, I owe primary responsibility to. Too,
0: right. So look, Tony, I know it's a great business business connection, and yet, uh, and I know that you're working with a lot of leaders helping them to build their business, but tell me a bit about what leadership means to you before we have a look at some of the lessons that you've learned from small business and, and how small business can teach large corpus. What does leadership mean to you, Tony?
1: Well, leadership in small business, I don't know what percentage of, of executives or business owners at the top level, Paul, you see are good leaders, but I see a small percentage of small business people are good leaders. You have to have um, the ability to engage in your business and have people follow you. To me, the definition of a leader is, do people follow? So if you're in a a business where you're trying to get across a point of view to your customers, do they actually believe you, do they follow you, and do your staff follow you? So to be a leader, you need people to adhere to your principles and want to be, you know, want to be in your... uh, Your team. In your team.
0: So it's interesting because one of the definitions, and we've got a few, but one of the key definitions we use at the Human Enterprise from a program called Why Should Anyone Be Led By You, which is obviously about followership, is that a leader excites others to exceptional performance. So this mm-hmm. is about the engagement that, that, that you're actually talking about. And uh, have you, many of us have, uh, I guess, big influences on our lives. Was there any leaders that had big influences on your life, particularly, I guess, you know, running a business?
1: Well, my father was a business broker. That's the reason I left law, to, to, to come into business broking. And uh, he was a top salesman. Uh, he's had a way with people, and I suppose I've, I've always... Um, I suppose I was given that skill, firstly. I think it was fairly hereditary. But um, I love working with people. I love seeing a good result, whether it's a buyer or seller. So to me, that's the, that's the lesson in leadership, too. It's a people-relationship game, but also at the end of the day, you've got to make a quid. And you can't just go out there and making yourself and people happy unless you're getting financially from the business what you want, and then you'll be able to uh, do the things that you want uh, to achieve from your business.
0: So I guess you know it's uh, it's a real results focus, which it has to be in any business, and yet you're not going to do that unless you're actually doing it with people. So what? So so Tony, you're going to say one this?
1: thing. I just wanted to say was it, the, the, the great small business leaders I've. I've seen have been those that have had the smaller ego, strangely enough. Mm. Quite often I'd come to a business owner and I'd say, look, you've done very well out of this business. I've got another business for you. It's twice as big and you can run them both at the same time maybe. And I'll never forget this one fellow said to me one time, he said, I'm not in this for my ego. I don't need to be in small business for my ego. I know what I'm capable of doing. I know what I want to do and that will do. On the other side, I've seen people with massive egos Sort of never ever happy and never able to run a business properly because they're running around chasing the wrong things. They're chasing self-satisfaction, whereas you won't win in business unless you're satisfying others. That's, That's got to be the key role.
0: That is a great. Uh, in fact, I think was it uh, Drucker or one of those consultants said that uh, the more you satisfy uh, others, the more you'll satisfy your own needs. This is a big thing too. What you're what you're really saying is that I guess in small business people are looking at you know, satisfying customers' needs, satisfying their people's needs, but not looking at it in terms of big doesn't necessarily mean uh, big, big, uh, or, or big business doesn't necessarily mean big satisfaction. No,
1: no, certainly. No, some of the, uh, the you know, the temptation is to think, oh, if this was business was bigger, you'd be better or happier or whatever, but that doesn't necessarily apply. No. What, what you have to do is to go to the size that you can, you can manage. Grow to the size that you can manage.
0: It's an interesting thing too. We see a lot of uh, leaders, I guess, tripped up by their ego in the corporate world. There's a model uh, from Jim Collins, he calls it level five leadership in some of his literature. And at that level, you are yes, you're running the business, and yes, you certainly have, I guess, a bit of ego strength, but not that much that it gets in the way. And if there's a mistake or there's a downfall, you'll say, hey, that was my accountability. But if there's some great success then you'll certainly share it with the team and say, hey, it's the team that did it. We often see the opposite happening. Where there's a problem, people put it on the, on the team. Where it's a positive, people take it up because of that need to strike their ego that it's their own thing. So let's get into some deep and dirty secrets of small business because small business is like, you, you, you're on the line every day. And I think that there's some great lessons that uh, small business people and someone like yourself who's been around many, many small businesses over the years can actually teach large corporates. Maybe we take them one at a time. What would be, say, two, three, four, five, half a dozen uh, lessons, Tony, that you think large business can can learn from small business leaders?
1: Well, of course, most big businesses grew out of a small business,
0: 98% of of the time.
1: That started somewhere with a founder and an idea. And that founder had to work very hard number one but he also had to stay engaged he or she had to stay engaged in the business and really had to do everything that was to be done in the business as the business grows you get the luxury of of being able to delegate and not get as involved in the maybe detail of the business or the operation and so a big business even the I think the owner of a business has to be engaged in every single department of their business just like a small business guy is um Has to understand what's what's going on. If you employ someone, you have to basically know what it is that they're going to do. The greatest risk in small business is to be at the mercy of your employees. It's interesting. It hold you there
0: because a lot of I guess a lot of corporate uh, leaders listening to this will say, "Well, hold on a second. I'm I'm an engineer. I'm in the engineering department. I'm not I'm not in HR, or I'm I'm not in sales. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm in marketing, or Mm -hmm. I'm." um, How would you uh, would you, 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 you and what we also see I guess to back that up is that often a lot of the leaders that we do see that are having problems are just in their function and not look, function, not looking at the whole system.
1: If you're an owner, you're an owner and you're across everything. I don't say you have to know how to do it. As I say, the ways out are if you're not it yourself, you either employ it or you outsource it or learn it yourself. There's only two options really for a business owner that's not across a certain part of that business is to hire someone to replace the gap or to learn at least sufficiently enough to be able to employ someone efficiently in that role. There's no choice. And how many times do we hear people embezzlement, millions and millions of dollars leaking out of the company? How could that happen if the people responsible for the checkbook knew what was going on in the accounts department? How could you leak tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of dollars? The same applies across recruitment, products, sales, distribution. You have to be engaged. You have to know that if your experts, whatever your experts are telling you, that's Fed income or someone's trying to put something over you.
0: So a great a great lesson there for our listeners then would be that irrespective of your role in corporate life, get to know at least a baseline level of the other functions in your of business. Of everything. If
1: you're sitting on as, uh, as managing director or uh, as chairman of that board, you need to be across. And if someone says something across the board table, you need to know what they're talking about.
0: And I would also uh, extend even further than irrespective of the role, even if you're not at that level, that the greatest leader that I come across irrespective of their function, go out of their way to learn about what the other functions do. For example, the best HR managers, I think, know how to read a P&L. Um, the best marketers know a lot about operations and so forth. So I think that's a strong lesson here. Other lessons, Tony?
1: Well, I suppose that um, once you get big, you get conservative. You see, if we go back to the startup model, uh, a young person... Could be, could be very young these days, with an idea. And just that idea hits the right time in history and the, the product goes off. In in big business, once you're successful, suddenly your success becomes your major obstacle. Right. Because you go, we want to keep being successful. If we try something different. So innovation goes out the door. The very thing that produced that company goes out the door because they start trying to protect their interests rather than creating new business. And I think okay. that's one major problem that... Uh, is there with, uh, everyone talks about it from government down, innovation, but what does it actually mean? It actually means giving people an opportunity to fail a few times out there and um, just come up with something maybe that could be you know, very strong, very important to the company's future.
0: Do you see that a bit uh, in small business that maybe the owner or the founders build it up and then they, they get something and their, their focus is on not losing rather than uh, growing or gaining?
1: certainly i also see small business owners that get to a certain level that they have to be eased out of the company the business is the, the business is not something that they can take to the next level so they can take a, a five employee 10 employee company to a certain level but once it becomes funny word here corporatized and once it's big enough to start to get a these departments he gets lost yeah he or she gets lost because they just don't understand a big business and and the different uh, dynamics that apply in a big business, so and, and they come. say
0: things like oh it wasn't uh, it was different now, it was more of a family company or whatever yeah i mean
1: there's 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 a there's a big topic there uh, Paul on family businesses and mm. how to progress those to the next level and mm. create boards of directors and external boards and really get some governance going in in businesses that don't have any mm. and they're not performing as directors should and not looking after the shareholders, et cetera so there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, points there that we, when we're talking about that, said the hardest thing to do is grow a business. Mm. The easiest thing is to survive. Yeah. They're all surviving. <laughs> 70% of them are just surviving. Mm. But the real challenge is to grow a business and get through the next growth phase.
0: We talk about in one of our workshops, uh, Come Together, which is about uh, merging cultures. We, we talk about the culture is three things. You have to survive. That's the first thing. You have to thrive, which is grow. And you have to stay alive, which is feel engaged with the business. And I think that that second one, thriving, uh, is a lot to do with innovation. And it's interesting. You see that there's a there's a in the early phases that um, a leader might be quite innovative, and then drop that off. Is there a lesson for corporate leaders there who aren't necessarily founders? But is there, is there a lesson regarding innovation in their teams?
1: Oh, certainly. I think as as um, as I as I said earlier, if if you're trying to protect you know, sacred ground is not going to work right. you're going to end up being topped right. out because these days competition is on your tail yeah, like never before yeah. and technology makes that even uh, more extreme position so unless you're there you're going to be overtaken unless you're innovating you're going to be overtaken right. that happens in small business hey there's, uh, there's a street out there with 30 coffee shops you know how many are doing well? two or three mm. the others are just serving coffee and making a living but the top two or three are right at the top of their game yeah. Now they can stand another twenty coming in the strip, they'll still do well, maybe not as well. But all the others will go broke because of the
0: competition. And because is it because they're different? We often talk about it, it's the difference that makes the difference. Is this the positioning, is it the branding? What might it be? So in those Well,
1: let's say in a retail store, certainly it's location. Yeah. But certainly then customer service and the feel you get when you come into a the business. Feel. Mm. And the special that the special way that the owner of the business makes you feel.
0: As they say in the castle, it's the vibe of the thing. It's the vibe.
1: <laughs> it's how you feel. You want to come back the next day. It's all about, it's all about brand, which gives you a feeling for that business, and it relates to their customers' values mm. as
0: well. So talk about that, because that's a big thing in terms of both an executive branding them themselves, because we all have our own personal brand as, as leaders. But of course, we have a. Our brands within our, um, uh, you know, the brand of our, our products within an organization or the actual, um, you know, brand of the organization itself. What are some lessons from small business you've picked up about branding?
1: Well, you see, let's, let's, take, let's take the accountancy firm. It grew up from one person giving financial advice. Um, she, maybe he, got very good at doing that and said, I'll grow my business. But suddenly the the business fell over because it was built on the personality of the owner and then there was nothing then left um, of strength in the company outside of the personality of the owner. But the clever business builder says, all right, what I want to create here is a delivery of service that'll be the same transaction for everybody that walks into this establishment. Could be a cafe, an accountancy business, whatever I'm talking about, you have this sense so that when people are dealing with you, they go, that's a nice experience. Uh Right. And that can go across the law firm, the professional practice. Uh, Goodwill's a funny thing in small business, so you've got to be very careful that that you create something, as we started saying, that's transferable. But the way to make that sort of business transferable is to almost franchise it. Mm. So that the service is the same whether you, you speak to the receptionist, whether you speak to the person helping the accountant, or the major partner, you get the sense that they're going to deliver the right advice to you, at a good price and you're going to feel good
0: dealing with that company. And of course that won't happen unless there's great uh, business systems, which is the heart of great franchising.
1: That's it. Systems. And and then we know that we'll get the same transaction Mm -hmm. each time. The same transaction feeling every time we deal with that company.
0: But one of the things that often corporate leaders back away from is that they don't want to systematise everything. They want to have a little bit of freedom, but we often say systematise the routine and personalise the exception because the more you have the system route or the routine systematised, it does give you more time for those special cases and so forth. I'm sure you've got many, many other lessons for corporate leaders. What are some more that you can touch on? There's one that's really
1: only just... Uh been given full effect uh, for me in the last ten years, which is timing. Uh-huh. Now, in two thousand and six, two thousand and five, two thousand and six, we had a long um, boom time, if you like, in small business. Not everywhere in 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 the business world, but certainly small business was booming. People sold their businesses for fantastic multiples of profit, and and it was all in this sort of two. Year window. Now, I'm not saying that all those owners understood timing and said, I'm going to get out now because things are going to be not so good in 12 or 24 months. But the, the magic of those business owners, and when I look back on them, they were clever business owners, not because they got out, but how they sold it, how they managed their business, prepared it for sale, and brought it to the table to sell. Now, what's the lesson in, in the larger business? I think the timing is not necessarily to sell businesses because we don't understand that that large businesses sell especially the bigger businesses uh, listed companies they're looking to secure their future but the timing of introducing innovation the timing of hiring Mm. and firing stuff whatever that might be you have to see ahead someone walks into my office and says I'm going to buy a business you can forget the profit and financials of the last two or three years they're they're a guide, but I'm buying next year's yes. profit. We've got to keep our, our, our uh, headlights on. We've got to keep our eyes peeled for future
0: opportunities and future risks. Well, to an extent, I guess that's what we're buying when we buy a share, when we buy a share of a company on the, on the ASX or the New York Exchange or whatever it might be. where We're not necessarily buying uh, you know yesterday's result. We're buying in anticipation of, of the future there. Um, Yeah, you see companies recording record profits and
1: the share price goes down because the market thought they'd do better. Yeah. Yeah. So the experts are looking to the future and small business stars that I've met are looking to the future. I think everyone in a a business, be it an executive um, uh, or the directors of the company or the owner, have to be asking the key question, where's this company going in 12, 24 months out? Where's it going? And how can we manage that it goes down the right path
0: and that's a great lesson for any leader because a you know a leader basically is is you know painting a brightness of future a leader takes people somewhere they haven't been before, and uh, it's a focus on future rather than past and you know, I guess what you're saying is that small business leaders particularly have to do that, mm. and it 's a great reminder for corporates not just to get caught up in the day to day, which is also i guess a uh, difficulty with a lot of corporates they have a very very uh, quarterly focus because particularly if they're a listed business where they have to show um, you know, profit that, that particular quarter. Any advice for corporates in that case where they really are under the pump to show quarterly results, 90 day results rather than being able to have that um, freedom to be thinking 12, 24 months Well I think you've got to
1: have your business is, is really in two sections. You can't you have to have the big questions out there been asked by business owners, by these key stakeholders in the business, but we're just measuring progress each quarter. We're measuring progress towards that. The hardest thing of all is to try and predict the future, but if we don't even ask the questions, we're going to be a mile off. But if we ask the questions about the long-term future and then put it out there, we're just just having a reasonable... um, estimate of where we should be in three, six, nine, and 12 months' time. That's all any stakeholders can ask of a decision maker in a company, surely. right? So there are these two levels. Mm. Certain meetings we go and we talk about what's going to happen over the next three months or the next month. The other meetings we go and talk about what's going to happen in 12, 24 months. And the two people talk, but we're talking about different
0: things. Yeah. I think that's interesting because I think what often happens is... Uh, The uh, more and more busy you get, and the tougher business gets, I'm seeing people bunkering down everywhere, Mm -hmm. bunkering into their function, which goes against one of your first lessons, which is to think about the whole business. And secondly, bunkering down in terms of how can I get this short term result rather than asking or at least thinking about those tougher. Twelve to twenty-four month questions.
1: Well, the short term might be reduce expenses. That could be the most important decision the company makes. Mm. I mean, it's not too forward-looking and optimistic, is it? We're going to reduce our expenses. Yeah. But if that's what what's required for the next three or six months, while we plan the eighteen months after that, that's still yeah. a fair decision to make. As long as everyone understands that if we keep doing that, the business will wind down. Mm. If we strip it of all its resources, well, it's going to go one direction.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. But if we if we if we're trimming it. To, to live with our, or to to, to score our 24-month goal, well, then it's fair enough.
0: Another interesting point there. What I do see is often a lot of knee-jerk reaction uh, where people are trimming, particularly staff, very, very quickly and then, sadly enough, in the next six, 12 months, uh, sometimes even less, they're putting back on people and wish they hadn't got rid of that uh, that particular expertise. That is one thing that I do notice with small business, Tony. I wonder about what thoughts you have on on change and mobility and flexibility, because it would seem to me that that's one thing that small business can do fairly well. It can flex the plan, uh, whereas you know it's a lot of little tugboats, it can turn very quickly, whereas you've got this big ocean liner, very hard to turn a, a corporation around in terms of strategy or in terms of resource allocation. Any thoughts on that at all?
1: Well, the more the stakeholders you have, the more risk it's a bit like if you're batting for Australia and there's 15 runs to go, you get very nervous, don't you? <laughs> yeah, so if the, state, the higher the stakes, the the more nervous is the guy driving the ship. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd say that small business obviously does have that ability because there's less change that has to happen, and with change becomes risk, mm. and risk uh, leads, you know, a high risk leads to volatility, and and potential uh, damage to the company. But on the other side, small businesses going to want to be careful that they don't uh, react too quickly. I mean, if if you're in a big business and your plan is right, you shouldn't have to drastically alter that unless conditions drastically change. Right. And I I suppose that the way I'd approach a, a larger business is look at a lot of small businesses. There's a lot of small businesses in a large business and give a fair amount of autonomy to, to people to uh-huh. to maneuver with inside the corporate structure rather than having to change the whole big ship. Yes. The whole big ship works out, take Blockbuster, when video stores became under assault. They had two decisions to make either to downsize, which they did, um, or to come up with some other product that was gonna replace or some other service that was gonna keep the franchisees happy. But that was a big decision, that was a big Technological change that was on their doorstep. Now, now, they could have seen that coming, and and whether it was Blockbuster or VideoEasy or any of the any of the major video um, suppliers, and both of those were franchise companies. They had a lot at stake. They had franchisees that invested in their business. They had to make a decision, mm. and that was a big decision. And it was a relentless tide that was
0: coming in against mm. their business. They could yeah. I guess you've also made a point there, too, in terms of corporate leaders, that is that uh, you know, to give as much empowerment as you can within boundaries, I think that uh, irrespective of business performance at the moment, you've got a lot of businesses turning that way. Banking with Bank of Queensland, Harvey Norman, of course, who has almost a franchise system within the stores, uh, Flight Centres, although not franchised, has a very, very you know, a business model where there's a whole lot of little businesses and I think that the lesson there for corporates is to think of your business, irrespective of what area you're in, HR, marketing, sales, operation, it's a business. Mm. And imagine what it would be like if this was an HR business and I, was, and I was consulting to the line, would they pay for these services? So, Tony, one of the things with all that happening, it must be very easy for small business owners and particularly easy for, for those in large corporates to get their life balance a little out of whack. When you've seen people who have a great life balance... What are some of the things that people in small business are doing to maintain great life balance, great life satisfaction?
1: Well, the greatest problem with small business is that it's small. <laughs> so a key challenge for a small business owner is to be able to uh, go and have a good holiday. Yeah. So many small business owners, as I said, Paul, by far the more people end up in the unsuccessful category than in the successful category in small business. Mm. That's just the way of life, isn't
0: it? Well, even, yeah. to have, even to have run a small business for, what, is it three or four or five, ten years, it's quite a feat in itself, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so the small business person has to be able to have some time off. The opportunities you get are holidays and at the end of the day. Unfortunately, what I see a lot these days is people who are supposed to knock off at five o'clock, but the computer's there, the inbox is there, all the messages have got to be returned. There's all this work that's got to be done. because Someone didn't turn up today. So they end up being a slave to their business. And that's that's a, definitely not a definition of success, being a slave to the business. Neither if you force your staff to be slaves to the business. So a small business owner should be able to engineer a holiday a year and needs help. So what is the help? The help could be a partner. Many small business owners don't realise the potential for help in their partner. Now, if this is their life partner, there's second complication but there's no reason that it can't work it just needs to be properly mentored and coached but sometimes the greatest asset can be right alongside you you just don't understand it and some of the great partnerships are husband and wife partnerships in small business with with the wife having more of a role than just coming in doing the books so be another decision maker another a person to rely on another part of the brains trust within the business mm. and um, the other is a coach certainly a coach
0: I'm glad you said that, Tony. You you (laughs) may want to plug plug Leadership Coaching This is not a plug for you. It's It's appropriate time. uh, But
1: I believe that. I've said when you're putting together your team, if you're going to sell a business, the people in that team are a lawyer who knows his biscuits about uh, small business, an accountant, a coach, a financial planner to help you invest all the money you're going to make when we've sold your business, (laughs) and a business broker. Mm. Because a business broker, number one, knows the value of your business. So if you've teamed up with your financial planner and he said, Paul, you need $5 to retire, I'll tell you that your business is currently worth a million. I'll tell you when it's ever going to be worth $5 If it is, if it's not, we'll get out of it. We'll get you into another business. But your whole team is aimed at the end game where you get out of the business with the money that you need to make yourself happy for however long you've got after
0: that. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I guess... The end game for often business owners, the real wealth creation, if it's done right, often comes at the end of the um, uh, the end of that period where they do sell a a business for hopefully a a certain multiple. But where have you seen? my, My question is, where have you seen small business people do that well? What are the habits, the rituals, the systems? where you see people that have kept their energy up and they've been able to take the holidays. I mean, one is a partner. I think that's a great lesson for corporate life. Everyone tends to do it on their own. Unless they have a coach, most people heading up a function would probably not have a, a partner. I think it's a great one have someone else. Maybe it's in another function. Uh, you know, two two heads would talk to each other, and not just your boss, not just the MD or the general manager. So, great lesson in the corporation: is seek someone out in t- in, in your in your business who can be like a bestie, a buddy to bounce off. Well, if you
1: feel lonely, just like the small business owner, you're going to have to remedy that problem. If you're in a big business and you're lonely, you're going to have to find a solution because mm. you're going to go down the drain. You're going to get sick. Yeah. stress will beat you. Yeah, right. You have to come up with an answer. Right. And um, I that the coach could provide that, um, take people that are close uh, to you into your, into your confidence and tell them what the problem is, because if you stay lonely, it's going to be a, a sad future for the company and the executive.
0: Well, Tony, a bit about you, because, I mean, you've certainly done that. You've built up this business and you've got to an extent a franchise business here. What are some of the... The lessons—they they, they are lessons you've, that others in small business have learned in general. What about you? What have been some of your biggest lessons and leadership challenges to date?
1: Well, to me, it's it's seeing where the, where I'm going to be in two years' time, and not believing that if I just keep going the way I'm going, things are going to be fine. You have to make allowance. You have to you have to try and plan for the future. I suppose uh, as a leader, I treat I treat the people that work for me the same way, the way I treat. Uh, the vendors that I represent in in business broking, uh, the people that work for me need need my guidance, need my experience to be able to perform as the very best business broker they can. The two people that we have within BCI are, rely on me for that. They rely on me to understand them, show them the way in business broking as much as I can. Right, and that's that's my that's my challenge. I see the same the same thing. I have to come up with a result for a business owner, and I have to come up with a result for the people that uh, work for me.
0: So Tony, if you had one pearl of wisdom um, regarding someone achieving a vision of greatness, perhaps they have a vision of greatness, they have an idea of where they want to go, where they want to take their team, their organisation, but just not quite sure where to start, what would that be? What would you advise them to do?
1: Do you mean someone in small business?
0: Someone in small business, and from that we will actually uh, pull out the lessons for larger businesses.
1: Look, the, the, if some if I meet someone for the first time within five minutes, I'm more or less getting a good idea of what they're capable of. Right, and I just wonder whether they are yeah, cap- understand what they're capable of. Right. If you don't understand what you're capable of, you could go ten, fifteen years in a business, scratch your head and go, "Why didn't I ever succeed? That business was wrong for you. You never had the ability mm. to go ahead and build it. You you never had clear." clear targets or objectives to achieve out of the business. it was just some sort of, well, I'm in a business because I prefer to work for myself than work for someone else. It's not a good enough reason. No. And what I said before about the ego is when you say, I want to be great one day, that could lead you to nowhere. If you just want to be great, I mean, we've heard about Jobs and Branson and Gates, but but they, they had that, they all could have gone broke. If timing, well, they did very, very. Uh, if, if timing was if the if the timing of their <laughs> desire to be great wasn't also met with the circumstances that allowed them to be great, and there's probably thousands of others that were, had the ability to be to be great, but just didn't meet the right circumstances. And I, I can't uh, downplay the the brilliance and ability of those three men that I just that I that I just mentioned. But what they had was just this knack of knowing what people wanted. Mm. And if that's a product or a service, get as many people to buy that product and engage that service, and you're on the way to greatness. But if you you think it's great and no one else does, it's not gonna it's not gonna make a business.
0: But what a great lesson for all of us! It doesn't matter how good we uh, we think our product or a service is; um, it's 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 the audience that counts. So one of my favorite sayings is: It doesn't matter how good the orchestra it is. is uh, is, is, is if, if the audience is deaf, <laughs> they're, they're just not going to hear it. Yeah. So it's a great reminder of us to keep on thinking about from our customers' perspective, whether they're internal or external customers. So what about you? What's the big thing that you'd like to leave behind or be, be known for? What would you like people to be saying of you with uh, Business Connection International?
1: Well, I want them to think that when I said I'm, I'm here to help you to achieve your life goals and, and achieve your wealth goals that I was fair them, And if I didn't think they could by the path they were going on, I'd also tell them. Right. So I want them to know that i tell them the truth. I won't uh, I won't say what I think they want to hear. I'll say what I think is going to happen on the basis of my experience. That's what they're there for. They don't want me to tell them anything else other than my opinion based on my experience. And that's the best thing I can offer them.
0: Absolutely. So that, does that mean, for example, because some of the listeners may be people who are in uh, large corporates at the moment, maybe even thinking about going into small business, that, um, and I certainly see this, that not every person who's in a corporation who may be even a senior leader there necessarily has what it takes to run a small business. Would you agree with I'll that? Tell you
1: or? what I've found, that the people that come out of big business have got one great advantage over someone who's always grown up in small business, is their training.
0: Right. Time. I'd Did like you to plug that too, Tony, if you could. <laughs> <laughs> it's just
1: a Paul Mitchell show, is it? <laughs> well, well we've, of learned,
0: <laughs> we've learned it shouldn't be, but uh, <laughs> just for this one time.
1: Um, so, small business, I can do it all, I'm tough, I'll tough it out. Big business, good systems, good training, good processes. Put those two together, there I think you've got your success recipe. Right. Merge the two. One may work on its own, probably... A small business person may make it just with those skills. A person out of corporate with all the training in the world that doesn't want to get their hands dirty ain't going to make it. But if you've got both things going for you, if you've uh, become a well-rounded person, which is what corporate's trying to do, is trying to is trying to train you to be the very best that you can be, um, and you you you. Merge those skills with the survival skills that a small business person just has to learn. If you yes. have been in business two years; they're a survivor. Yeah, you merge those two, and you've got uh, you've got a very good combination.
0: What a great what a great uh, way to uh, to uh, to think about the best of both worlds. If we bring the training and the discipline of the systems to small business, small business would be better off. If we brought the entrepreneurial zeal and the passion and the survival instinct that's absolutely essential, a small business to corporation, I think corporations would be better off. One of the things I certainly see in corporations these days is people not possibly working with a degree of intensity according to their general managers. I've talked to many CEOs, GMs, department head saying, I don't know whether people get it. It's not that good at the moment. Uh, You know, uh, people are still working average hours and still working same old, same old. What is it that you think large corporates need to get to get to work at that level of intensity, which often happens in a small business?
1: Well, look, I think if you're talking about success across the, the two horizons here, it reminds me of that uh, joke of the fellow that goes to, in the biblical times, goes to the gates of the city and says to the fellow, uh, what sort of a town is this? And he says, oh, where have you come from? He says, I've come from a town where everyone's friendly to me. He said, the same people here. And then the next day another fellow comes up and said, to the same person and says, I want to come into your town. He says, well, what sort of town have you come from? He says, well, I've come from a town where all the people are nasty. And the fellow at the, the gate said, don't bother coming here. Everyone's the same. Yeah. So it's not the people. It's what we create. And if you're if you're a bad term probably, but if you're a winner in corporate, you're going to be a winner in small business. Right. And if you're a winner in small business, you may not have that same ability to go up the step. But if you're a winner, if you understand people, if you've got good communication skills, you understand who you are as a person in the corporate world, you'll take those skills down to small business. And you'll more than likely succeed because, as I've said, the success rate in small business, very unfortunately, is small because we don't get too many winners down in small, we don't get as many winners in small business as we'd like um, because the barriers to entry are small and it seems so, like you can just, you know, grab a shop and open up or pick up a website and suddenly you're in business tomorrow. Most people will fail unless they have a, a plan and, you know, a really good product or service that that no one else is providing,
0: and so important that they don't, because that small business sector does employ almost seven million, yeah. uh, or fifty percent, say, of our of our total workforce. So Tony, there've been some incredible lessons there for large corporates through the eyes or the lens of of small business. But just because they're in large corporates, doesn't mean they don't know someone in small business, or their their family partner might be running a small business. Um, we know that you actually sell businesses and also build them up to sell. If people wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way, Tony?
1: Well, we have a website, bc.com.au, and you can follow the uh, links there, to the contact us links. Do um, you want me to give my phone number? Yeah, that'd be great. mobile, 411 or my email address is tarena at bc.com.au. On the side of valuing a business, we have a website with um, Quite a bit of resource there on how to value certain businesses and what are the key fundamentals in looking at in valuing a business if someone's looking to buy or sell. And that's called valueabusiness.com.au.
0: Tremendous. Well, certainly we'll, we'll put those details on the uh, uh, on the bottom of this audio and hopefully, if people are thinking about either buying a business selling a business, valuing a business, or building up a small business, I'm sure they'll be in touch. Again Tony, thank you. Pleasure. Well, there's certainly some great lessons from Tony that small business can teach large corporates, like getting out of the way and letting people get on with it, like having a franchise mindset and the importance of systems, like timing, like the vision thing, like making sure you still have your life balance and how your ego can really trip you up if you're not careful. All essential lessons also for the larger corporate world. I think it was great that Tony particularly focused on the importance of a a leader having followers. And I personally know of no greater program to help you with your own leadership and your own followership, if you will. And if that is getting followers, then why should anyone be led by you? What it takes to become an authentic leader. Uh, we'd love you to, uh, uh, to to visit our site on www.thehumanenterprise.com.au and have a look at that or send us an email at soul, S-O-U-L, at thehumanenterprise.com.au. Even better, just pick up the phone and, and give us a call on 02, that's Australia 02, 990 so thanks again for listening to Enterprise Radio and demonstrating your own personal commitment to your to your learning and to truly building the human enterprise. I'm Paul Mitchell, I hope we get to speak soon.